Today's episode, we talk about how to never lose a customer or employee ever again. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Switch, where we sit down with leaders in customer experience and employee experience, and we try to figure out what are the trends that they're paying attention to, the experiments that they're running, what are the principles that have created success for them throughout their careers. And then we take all of those insights and we apply them to the world of sports and entertainment. Now, in today's episode, we are sitting down with customer experience expert, Joey Coleman. This is one of the most fun episodes I've had in a while. One, because we talk about Notre Dame a lot. He and I are both Notre Dame alum, so obviously we get into that. Um, But really, it is a super, super insightful episode, all focused on retaining your customers and employees for life and really preserving that loyalty, creating advocates out of your customers and not focusing on the churn and burn of trying to retain new customers. So a little bit about Joey. So Joey is the founder and I love his title, Chief Experience Composer of Design Symphony. Uh, It's a customer experience branding firm that assists corporations, nonprofits, small businesses and associations in creating kind of breathtaking interactions for their customers and constituents. Does a ton of speaking. And of course, he is the author of the book, Never Lose a Customer Again. We're going to talk about his next book as well that's focused on same principles and frameworks that he uses in that book to apply to retaining employees. So in this episode, we do talk a little bit about customer experience as well as employee experience, how they're similar, and what the strategies and tactics are that you can use in your organization to keep your customers longer and keep your employees longer. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode with my friend, Joey Coleman. Joey, welcome to the show. David, thanks so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. All right. We we have to start with something that we talked about just before jumping on, which is that we knew we were both Notre Dame guys, but we did not know that we lived in the same dorm for four years. Uh, So why don't we start talking about Notre Dame and kind of what what that experience was like for you? and, And then maybe let's go into what you're working on right now, thinking about Marcus Freeman. Sure. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm thrilled to be able to have this conversation and just for anybody listening, because I know we've got the full gambit of fans there. The good news is, how do you know somebody went to Notre Dame? Don't worry, they'll tell you about it. So, uh, yeah, I I spent four years at Notre Dame. Uh, Ironically enough, David, you and I lived in the same dorm in Morrissey Manor, uh, which you were there after I was by a good 20 years anyway. But uh, moral of the story is when I was there, it was a little long in the tooth, as they say, a little bit dated, but a great experience and sang in the Glee Club and just really loved my Notre Dame experience. And talk about customer experience or employee experience or brand experience. I mean, Notre Dame, we both benefited from the fact that it pretty much is a globally recognized brand. And nine times out of 10, if you're going to get somebody to come to South Bend, Indiana in the winter, you better have a great brand experience behind it. So I uh, had a great time experiencing that myself during my four years there. 
But it, but it's interesting because I, I think about your book, Never Lose a Customer Again, and there are so many of the principles that are in that when we talk about how do we retain somebody, how do we make them basically an advocate of the brand, right, if you think about that last step. And Notre Dame really takes you through all those steps as a student. Um, so maybe, maybe that's where we jump in here. Let's talk a little bit about the book, Never Lose a Customer Again. And obviously there are eight phases to the customer experience that you've outlined. Maybe take us through those eight phases that I think, again, Notre Dame did such a good job with us uh, as we were students there. Sure. So what I'd love to do is I'll give a quick overview of the eight phases and then wherever you want to dive in, you just let me know. So basically there's, I believe there are eight phases of the customer journey. And each of the phases, as I'm going to outline them, starts with the letter A. The kind of idea here is if you get them all right, it's like getting straight A's from your customers. You know, they love you. They appreciate you. And the interesting thing about the phases is most businesses, as we go through this, think about your own operation. Most organizations are over-indexed or over-focused on two or three of these. And there's some that they're not paying attention to at all. And it's my personal belief that if you don't, and the research actually supports this, if you don't pay attention to all eight and you don't approach them sequentially, you never have the opportunity to navigate someone through the full experience. And that's where you get additional sales. That's where you get additional retention. That's where you get additional referrals. They have to go through all eight phases. So without further ado, here are the eight phases. Phase one is the assess phase. This is when a prospective customer is considering whether or not they want to do business with you. In common parlance, we call this marketing and sales. They're looking at your website. They're talking to existing customers. They're reading some reviews. They're talking to other alumni in a, in a college context, right? They're trying to figure out what is it going to be like if I decide to spend my hard-earned money and actually become a customer. We then go to phase two, the admit phase. Okay, In the admit phase, the prospect admits that they have a need or a problem that they believe you can help them solve. They sign on the dotted line. They hand over their hard-earned cash. The clock starts ticking on their 100-day experience. I believe the first 100 days are the most important time frame in the entire customer relationship. If you get the first 100 days right, you've got a customer for life. This is day one of the first 100 days. But almost immediately after they make that decision to start doing business with you, they go to phase three, the affirm phase. This is when buyer's remorse kicks in. They begin to doubt the decision they just made. Brain science tells us after we make a purchase, our brain floods with dopamine. We feel joy, euphoria, excitement. This is going to be the school that's the answer to my prayers. This is the team that's going to be able to take me to the finish line, whatever it may be. And almost as quickly as we have that feeling and the dopamine starts to recede, those feelings of joy, euphoria, and excitement are replaced by feelings of fear and doubt and uncertainty. What if it doesn't work out the way they planned? Uh, what if the salesperson was lying to me? What if the promise of the product doesn't actually meet the experience of the product? If we don't jump in and affirm their decision in this phase, the delta between our emotional high having made the sale and their emotional low of uncertainty about whether the sale is going to work out never closes. We've got to close that gap and we've got to close it quickly. We then come to phase four the activate phase. This is where we need to energize the relationship. This is the first real moment of truth. So in a college context, when they show up on campus, in a sporting event context, when they actually show up for the day of the game or the day of the performance or whatever it may be, you know, what are we doing to let them know that doing business with us is going to be unlike any experience they've ever had? Because let's be candid, your competition isn't the other people in your industry. 
it's the yeah. greatest experiences that your customers have had in any setting. They're comparing you to Amazon and Netflix and Disney and Tesla. That's the competition, not the other people in your space. We then come to phase five. Now, as a pro tip, this is where most organizations start to fall apart. Phase four, activate. We're usually really good on that first mm. date, right? We're, we're giving them the excitement. They're feeling excited. They're feeling good about it. The acclimate phase is where things start to fall apart. In the acclimate phase, your customer is getting used to your way of doing business. This can last weeks, in some industries, months, maybe even years. In the acclimate phase, you have to hold their hand and acclimate them to your cadence, your language, your tools, whatever it is that you're trying to get them to participate in. If you're selling them a product, it's getting them to actually use the product, not just buy the product and open it up. Take it out of the box and actually use it. If it's a service, it's what happens after the first two or three service interactions. How do we get into a rhythm? What do we do? We then come to phase six, the accomplish phase. In the accomplish phase, the customer ideally accomplishes the goal that they had back when they were originally a prospect and they decided to do business with you. See, every prospect has a goal they're trying to achieve. Now, sometimes they tell us what that goal is. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes the goal changes as the relationship continues. Those are always the most exciting, right? You know, where it's like, yeah, this is what I want to be. No, just kidding. I want to completely change the game. And we're like, wait, that's not what we sold you on. That's what we, not what we agreed on. That's an off-label use. Whatever it may be, we need to help our customers accomplish their goals. And when they cross that finish line, celebrate with them. Because the reality is most prospects will forget why they actually purchased your product or service. And now we may sit and say, that's ridiculous. How is that even possible? And then we look at our own purchases and we go, oh, wait, that happens all the time. All the time. All the time. Next, we come to phase seven, the adopt phase. This is when the customer is loyal to you and only you. They adopt your brand. They adopt what you stand for. They're not looking anywhere else. They are committed. And last but not least, the final phase, phase eight, the advocate phase, where they become a raving fan, singing your praises far and wide. They are committed to you. They become your uncompensated sales force out there spreading the word about your brand, bringing new customers to you. Every business that I've ever met or worked with wants more referrals. And yet most businesses want to jump from the day you become a customer to asking you sometimes in that same transaction, who else do you know that might benefit from our product or service? And it's like, wait a second. It's like being on a first date saying, now when do I get to meet your parents? Pump the brakes, friends. Slow it down a little. I got to see if you're worth introducing to everyone else in my network and putting my name behind a recommendation. I got to see if you're going to prove it. If we do it right, and we get through all of these eight phases, we can have a customer for life. And as we roll out new products or new services, they go back to phase one. This is what most businesses, especially I know we've got a lot of senior leaders that are listening in and, you know, kind of folks that are thinking more about the strategy of their operations. Here's something that almost every business on the planet misses. We think that our advocates are just going to buy everything we create and love it. Mm. That's not true. They're predisposed to do that because we've built trust. We've made deposits in the karmic bank account of goodwill. But they are going to go back to that assess phase. They're going to ask, is this really for me? Okay, yeah, it is. Admit. I'll sign up for it. Oh, really? Was it? Affirm. Oh, I'm back into it. Activate. What's the new launch of the new product or the new service? They cycle through faster, but they still cycle through. 
And ideally, this all ends up like the great shampoo commercials. We get to just rinse and repeat and give out new products and new services to our customers, rolling them through the eight phases again and again. So in less than hopefully 10 minutes, that was a quick overview of the eight phases. And you can see we could spend a lifetime in any one of those phases honing the experience oh, yeah. our brands offer. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a unconventional strategy to this, but I think being that we have Notre Dame in common, let's almost like unpack this. Let, let's spend the, the rest of the episode almost like unpacking it. If we are working with Notre Dame, trying to unpack it for them, right? Sure. So a lot, a lot of the people that we work with, I think, have two two things in in different uh, or two two different parts to customer experience, if you will. And I, I think this applies as well to any retail store or any type of in person business, if you will. So there's the let's call it the match day or the game day experience, but there's also the bigger brand relationship that the customer has, right? And, and so I think what's great about all eight phases is that it really captures both aspects of that. Uh, and whether you're buying a jersey, whether you're buying a ticket, it's still going through the same eight phases, but they're kind of, there's a, there's a little nuance there, if you will. So absolutely. Let's, Let's let's think about it like if you're if we're Notre Dame and we're trying to keep a customer for life, right? Um, you said that the piece where you really feel like everybody falls apart most often is the acclimate phase, where we're really kind of getting things rolling. They either bought the jersey or they showed up at the game, but where it kind of all falls apart is the acclimate phase. So maybe un let's unpack that from what it might look like if you're buying a Notre Dame ticket uh, or going to a Notre Dame game. Where does it fall apart in the acclimate phase? And yeah, why? so so we'll we'll t approach these and maybe in two separate ways because you're right. There is nuance between whether you're selling a service, which I would define as the match or the game or the experience that someone's yep. going to go and attend yep. a live event, versus the swag, the the jersey, the football with the logo mm -hmm. on it, whatever it may be. So we'll we'll take them separately. Mm -hmm. Most organizations that are in the event space, Notre Dame being no exception to this, are really good about when you show up, holy cow, there's great fanfare. Everything's feeling good. You're there for game day. It's exciting. You can feel the buzz. You can feel the energy. And there are all kinds of little things that happen on campus at Notre Dame that support that. The band is playing and walking across campus. Students are decorating their dorms. They're hanging sheets out the window supporting the team. There's little cookouts and grills being run by the various student organizations. And so everywhere you go on campus, there's a vibe, there's an energy. Now, those things are not micromanaged by the brand and by the organization, but they are fostered and they are encouraged. Mm -hmm. And these are all the little things that contribute. Where it starts to get a little bit questionable is if you're going for your very first game, you don't necessarily know where the the important things are. You've got your ticket, right? And you know, okay, I got to get to the stadium. But between here and there, where are the bathrooms? Where do I buy merchandise? Where can I get some food? Do I get food before I go in the stadium or get, do I get food after I go in the stadium? Now, there's whole, the whole idea around stadium signage, right? And we could talk about that mm -hmm. and how you can direct people and navigate them through there. But I would posit that the experience actually starts once they arrive on campus. Where do they park? What is the parking experience like? All of these things contribute to the overall brand experience. And when we think about the acclimate phase, the key image I want people to have in their mind is imagine you're holding their hand, walking them through the experience and walking them through the optimal pathing 
to get them to the achieved goal. Now, the reality is we don't have enough people on staff to assign a personal tour guide for everybody who buys the ticket, right? I understand that that is practically not going to happen. But what can we do around signage? What can we do around having people standing, you know, staff members standing and saying, here's where we park, waving people to the proper parking. Hey, now that you've parked, my gut instinct is you're looking for two things, a drink or a bathroom or both. Here's the closest bathroom to where you parked. Here's the closest place to buy a drink. Oh, and by the way, the stadium is what you see over in the distance. Between here and there, there's a dozen places to get something to eat. Please enjoy. Welcome to Notre Dame. Imagine getting out of the car and being greeted by somebody who said that. And what a great opportunity that is to have your brand ambassadors making those first impressions. Then imagine staggering staff all the way between the parking lot and the stadium, making sure, hey, we've got clear signage. We're directing people where they need to go. And we're intentionally looking out for the people who have that look of first customer. See, here's the thing. We've all been first customers where you walk in and you're trying to play it cool, right? You don't want to look like the newbie. You want to look like you're, you know, an upperclassman, not a freshman. You're trying to blend into the crowd as much as you can, but there's a little bit of hesitance. There's a little bit of uncertainty in your step. Our best staff should be trained and be observant enough to spot those type of scenarios and to proactively jump in and help. And instead of doing the typical retail, can I help you find anything? Instead say, what is it you're trying to get? Where are you trying to get to right now? Let me make mm-hmm. sure I can. Is there anything you need before you go into the game? Are you looking for a bathroom? Are you looking for a drink? And throw a couple things out. Now, the person who's a more veteran says, no, no, I'm good. Thank you, though. I appreciate it. They're good. The person who is new might then just say, well, actually, now that you mention it, I was wondering where the bathroom was. Or now that you mention it, I was wondering, where can I get a drink? Or now that you mention it, I was wondering, is it better to buy at the bookstore or is it better to buy a T-shirt from one of these kids walking through the parking lot? Right, right. Right? And you might, because you went first, because you opened the door, they might be willing to share what it is they're actually trying to accomplish. And if you can meet them right in that moment and say, oh, your big thing that you want to accomplish is this? Great, let me make sure. You could even ask them that. Hey, have you ever been to a Notre Dame game before? No, this is my first time. What's the one thing you're hoping to leave here with? Oh, a victory. Well, hopefully Coach Freeman's going to take care of that and the team. Oh, I'm hoping to leave with a jersey. Oh, well, you want to go to the bookstore. No, I didn't say I want a book. Uh, Welcome to Notre Dame. Our bookstore sells as many jerseys, if not more, than we do books. Go ahead and go down there. Whatever it may be, we're meeting the customers where they're at and helping them accomplish their goals. Amazing. And I think even on top of all of this, I mean, there's so many good takeaways that hopefully you guys just took away from what Joey just said here, uh, especially around language that we're using to really be provocative and actually get answers from the customer as opposed to just having them say, no, I'm good. Um, but and I, I think it even goes a step further when you start to factor in technology with using your CRM tools ahead of time. Now, I, I look at some of the email campaigns that a lot of sports teams use and whether you're buying a single game ticket for the first time or you just happen to be buying a single game ticket for the hundredth time you're getting the same communication and i think what you what you talk about here in this phase often in in the book is 
talking about the language and really making sure that we're clear on that and getting them up to speed on, on all those different things. And it's like we communicate to a single game ticket buyer as if they bought a single game ticket before. And we're communicating to every single game ticket buyer in the same way, but there are totally different segments of our customers in a single game ticket buyer. But we're not using the data from the CRM to say this person's never bought a ticket or this is the 10th time that this person's bought a single game ticket. And the communication that we have should be different based on those people. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we have this opportunity. We have an opportunity to use the data that we have to enhance the communication. Are we taking that opportunity? And let me be clear. I know that this is hard. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying this doesn't require an investment of time, effort, and money. But what I am saying is when you do it, the impact is incredible. Let me give you a real-life example of something that just happened yesterday. Yesterday, I got an email from Notre Dame, and I pulled the email up so that I can quote it to you. Here's the start of the email. We wanted to let you know, comma, as a former member of the Glee Club, comma, that current Glee Club senior Tim Purnell was recently featured as part of the Alumni Association's digital advent journey. Okay, I don't need any more than that to go, I'm interested. I'm going to read this. I'm going to watch the video. And here's the crazy thing. They know I was in the Glee Club. They can imagine that I have a strong affinity to that because their CRM tells me I was in the Glee Club for four years. They also know that I've come back to Glee Club reunions. So Notre Dame knows they can send me all the promotional emails. But I will tell you, this is the first one I've gotten in a while that was Glee Club specific. And not mm. only did I read the email, but I shared the email. I watched the video. I showed other people the video. If we communicate, if we communicate with our customers about the things that are most relevant to them, that will get them telling the story. Now, some people who go to a Notre Dame game go to watch the football game. Some go to get the merchandise. Some go for the camaraderie of hanging out with friends. Some go because it's the best place to gather with their classmates, right? It's easier to convene on the game, and the game becomes the, you know, the vehicle by which we created a little mini reunion of our college classmates. The reality is it doesn't matter why you came to the table. The opportunity that the brand has is to meet you where you're at and serve up that type of experience. So I would ask anybody who's listening, what are the different paths or the different reasons someone comes to partake of your brand? And are you over-indexing on the ones that feel most comfortable or most familiar to you? Now, I love going to a Notre Dame game. Don't get me wrong. But I've got classmates who really could care less about the game. They just want to be on campus at the same time that their friends are. So for them, if I'm pushing like, oh, let's get a ticket, let's go to the game, they're like, yeah, Joey, that's not my thing. And yet most brands do that. They presume, well, of course, you're coming here on a football Saturday. It must be for the football. Really? Ask the head of the bookstore how much money they actually make on the week. Is it about the football or is it about the merchandising? Ask all the student that's groups right. that are selling hot dogs and brats before the game. Is it about the football? No, it's about fundraising for their cause. You can have a brand that has different connection points for different types of customers. And I would posit that all brands have that and should be paying attention to the different pathways that they can create to their customers. Joey, on, on that note, I, I mean, I think this is where a lot of, at least people that we work with and talk with, a lot of them are challenged in this way in that 
for so long, they've kind of marketed to the masses. And a lot of them are starting to question that. And a lot of them are starting to see the value in personalizing that experience or that pathway for that individual fan uh, or that individual customer. But I think some of them tend to struggle with what are the kind of the specific strategies or tactics that they're, they're using to learn the customer's goals. Um, so maybe, maybe talk to us about some of your favorite strategies or tactics to learn a customer's original goal or motivation for purchasing an experience or a service or a product. Well, I would say that there are three key approaches that I really like. Investigate, observe, and ask. Let me break down each of them individually. Investigate. We live in an era where the bulk of your customers are on social media every day sharing what's important to them. They're doing posts about their cat. They're doing shout outs to their favorite team. They're sharing videos of their kids' Christmas program, whatever it may be. They are doing posts that will, in less than five minutes, you can go on somebody's individual Facebook page or Twitter account or LinkedIn page or whatever it may be and very quickly see what's most important to them or at the very least what they want the world to think is most important to them. So that's the investigate approach. You know, 50 years ago, we didn't have this ability to basically spy on someone remotely and see what was going on in their life. Now, because of social media, we do. The second phase, observe, or the second approach, observe. How much time are we actually devoting to just watching our customers interact with us? So let's think about the marketing department at a, uh, a university. We're trying to get people to come to the game. We're trying to get people to come to the live event. Great. Are you also building into your staff responsibilities to take your whole team to the game and just have them watch? Now, your job is to sell tickets. I get it. Great. Awesome. But did you do a group outing and actually sit there and watch what happened? What are we observing? Nine times out of 10, if you've recruited smart people to come work for you and you've got talented people on your staff, all you need to do is put them in the environment where they can observe your customers and they'll be able to find dozens of insights about things they wouldn't know sitting back in their office imagining what the customer might do. Last but not least, the third approach, ask. This sounds novel. This sounds crazy. You can actually just ask them, right? Now, you don't want to do that in a boring, ridiculous 78-question survey that <laughs> when they do fill it out, you never take action on it, okay? Yeah. But what we can do is do quick little surveys. Now, imagine, think about some of the uh, stores. You may have been in a retail establishment sometime where they have like tip jars and they'll have two tip jars and they'll maybe say it's the, let's pretend it's the Notre Dame-Penn State game. Two great schools, great rivalry, right? Let's say we're having a Notre Dame-Penn State game. Imagine having a tip jar that said Notre Dame and one that said Penn State. And then just based on the tips, you learn two things. Number one, are there more fans of one or the other? And number two, which fans tip better? Okay, so we can learn two fun pieces of data from this, but it creates an experience. That's a way of asking your customers mm. that doesn't feel like the typical email. So imagine going in and you've got a bunch of jerseys on the wall and you've got little buttons and you're encouraging kids to press the button. Press the button for your favorite jersey, even if you don't buy it. What we can see from that data is we can have people select which jersey they like and then we can match that up to the actual sales numbers and see 
Are they actually buying what they say they like? Or is there a market that we can identify where kids maybe are pressing the buttons, but mom and dad aren't buying them? So maybe there's an opportunity to adjust our pricing or make a kid's version of that jersey that suddenly is more you know, appealing to both the kid and the parent. I'm a big believer in investigating, observing, and acting, and asking, rather, whenever you can. Mm -hmm. And then you want to act on Uh, all three of them. Right, right, yeah. If if you're doing all that stuff and you're not acting on it, you might actually do more harm. You might you might do more harm than not uh, Absolutely. if you're asking people to give you feedback, right? No, David, you're spot on. How many times have we been in a scenario where somebody has asked us for our opinion or our feedback, and then they didn't act on it? And what we've done is you've conditioned me to never t- spend my time telling you again. If you're right. going to do never a tell survey, you again. I... exactly. And so, what do we want to do? I think you, for any time you do a survey, let's you'd mentioned digital before. Let's say we do some type of an email survey. Great. Two pieces of the survey. Number one. Do a staggered response after the survey's completed. What I mean by that is usually when you complete an online survey, a little pop-up screen comes up and says, hey, thank you so much for your survey. And everyone knows that's automated. Everyone knows that's just because you hit the last button. There's nothing special. Imagine a trailing response three to five days later. And it could be a generalized response, but it just said, hey, David, thanks so much for making the time to answer the questions on our survey. We see that you scored us 10 out of 10 on game day experience, and we just wanted to say how much we appreciate that. We also noticed that you shared some additional feedback for what we could do to make things better. Rest assured that we're reading those, we're taking them into account, and some of those things are going to be implemented next year. We'll keep you posted. Okay, now I feel – now, by the way, that same generalized email could have been sent to everybody who scored 10 out of 10 and put any ink in the recommendation box. You don't have to actually read it. This can be automated, right? Then what you do is you actually read the data. You see what comes out of it, and you put together a report. Now, in most businesses, they're putting together a report for senior leadership anyway on what the survey said. Why don't we share that with the survey respondents? We've gone to the trouble of putting it together. Why not turn around to the survey respondents and say, hey, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts, David. By the way, we crunched 2,800 surveys. Here's your answers, and here's where you fell in the group because every human being on the planet wants to feel like they're part of a bigger group. They either want to feel like same-same, that, oh, yeah, people agree with me. I'm smart. Or they want to feel different. Hey, everybody said this, but I really said this. That's actually the cool outlier. Either way, they're going to be happy. So why don't we just use that same report and feed it back? We get nervous. We say, oh, well, we don't want them to actually know what we're thinking. Why? Exactly. It's 2021. It's soon 2022. Enough already. Like we live in an era where our customers, if you really want them to be connected with your brand, pull back the curtain and show them what's going on. They will love you even more for it, and they will be more forgiving when something goes wrong because they will recognize the humanity behind the brand and that there are actually people there trying to do their best, and you will get a lot more grace as a result. As you can see, I have no strong opinions on this topic. No, no, no. I I totally agree. I mean, I think that's a big challenge for some of the more traditional sports and entertainment brands that we work with. They feel like they've got to protect their brand and they feel like they've got to come across as we can, you know, we do no wrong and and we're this legacy brand and and your grandparents were, were fans of us. And so they're, 
they're hesitant to give that level of transparency and authenticity and vulnerability because they feel like they have an image that they have to protect. But I mean, to your point on the survey, I mean, we, when we started working with Penn State and around their surveys, this is one of the things that we did was we said, hey, let's after every survey, let's put together. It's not quite as in-depth as what you just described. And I, I know I'm taking some notes and getting some ideas here. But what we said is, hey, we'll put up a the same kind of executive overview that we're giving senior leaders. We'll put that kind of version up to our, our people that took these websites or took the survey. We'll put it up on the website and say, hey, you can go look at the results that what you saw. Whether or not we're acting on them is a different story. But you can see all the results and you can see what uh, is, is evident and what everybody else is doing. And, and there was initial, initially some trepidation into doing that. Of but course. eventually they said – Eventually, they said, hey, this is what makes sense. We're asking them to take these surveys. We might as well share some of that data. I love it. Well, Uh, good on Penn State to be willing to do that and share it back. And here's the thing. I understand the trepidation. I understand the fear. Because what usually underlies that, and I'm not saying this is the case with Penn State. Let me be clear. But what usually underlies that fear is what if they know that we're kind of making this up as we go along? What if they realize that we don't know the answer to these questions and we're kind of making this up? Here's the thing that actually endears you to them. That actually makes them want to root for you and cheer for you even more because they're like, oh, wait, these are real people. This, yes, this is a brand. Yes, this is an institution, but there are real people there doing their best. And while I may not agree with their choices, if I know that they're struggling with the choice or they're weighing options, it makes it feel more human, more real. And in this increasingly digital automated world, I think wherever you can show your humanity, wherever you can show your vulnerability, you actually win. Yes, it costs. And and there's, there's an internal cost of your own confidence. But the external result, the external impact from people who witness that is going to be incredible. You just got to be willing to give it a try. I love it. And and I think what we're talking about, yes, it seems like a lot of work as well. And and that's because it is. Uh, There is a lot of time and dedication that has to go into this. And I, I think that's where a lot of sports and entertainment teams get challenged as well because so much of the funds get put back into the talent side of the business, if you will, that a lot of it you know, we kind of forget about, oh, hey, we got to go get customers and we got to retain those customers. And I think for a lot of organizations as well, they tend to focus on the first couple phases of how do we win new customers and get them in the door. But what I love about your book and, and the eight different phases, right, are really about how do we keep customers for life? And, and there's a great quote I actually kind of want to highlight here. And it's, it's from one of the sports case studies that you have in the book um, from one of the senior leaders from the Cubs. And he says, you know, people think it's people think it's sexier to go chase new customer blood. They don't get it. The magic is pouring on gas to ignite existing relationships. I'd rather have a massive bonfire of my most loyal adopters than constantly light little sparks here and there. And I think again, that's what's so great about the book and everything that you talk about is really let's keep and dive deeper and create stronger relationships with the people that we have and do all those activities than constantly just be on the hamster wheel of trying to get new customers and letting them churn and going to get new customers. That's a hell of a lot more work than it oh, is. Oh, it's, to it's keep exhausting the people and it's not sustainable. And I think that's what we're realizing. More businesses are recognizing. Wait a second, what are we doing? 
why are we burning all this time, money, and effort on the chase? You know, if you were to go on Amazon right now and go to the category of books and search for the word sales and then write down the number of hits you got, erase that and search for the word marketing, write down the number of hits you got, add those two numbers together, you'd get just over 1.3 million books that have been written on sales and marketing. Now, if you were to erase those results and search for customer experience, customer service, customer retention, customer loyalty, account management, relationship management, all the phrases that we all might come up with to describe mm -hmm. what happens after the sale. And even though some of those search phrases would come up with the same book more than once, you were to add all those numbers together, you get barely 30,000. So what that tells us is in the area of books, in the area of information that's available for executives trying to figure this stuff out, there are 43 books written on how to get a customer before there is one book written on how to keep a customer. I don't need a lot more data than that to know that as a society, we are over-indexing on acquisition. This is also the biological imperative. Most people are more excited about dating than they are about marriage. Most people are more excited about something new and fresh and different than the same. But here's the thing. If you actually talk to the people who are the perpetual daters, and they're now in their 40s or their 50s, and they're still just dating, 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 they have this huge longing for a committed long-term relationship. That is at a biological level, our human condition. I'm not saying everybody has to be married. What I am saying is that everybody wants longer, deeper, more meaningful relationships. And if we can't find those in our personal lives, we're going to look for them in our professional lives. And we live in an era where brands that have recognized that places like Notre Dame and Penn State and a lot of universities actually have realized that their time to make an impression on you may be three or four years. But if they do it right, their relationship with you is 40 years. This is why I love Notre Dame's campaign of four for 40, right? And now, now you've got me ranting on Notre Dame. But, <laughs> you know, Notre Dame's whole marketing spiel for the last few years has been you come here for four years as a football player. But the benefit you get is going to be for 40 years. Because even if you have the ability to play football at Notre Dame, and even if you are a fantastic recruit coming out of high school, and even if you play incredibly well during your time at Notre Dame— your average tenure as a college athlete going into the NFL, if you make the leap, is 3.8 years. So let me get this right. I'm going to spend all this time, effort, and money trying to get to the NFL. And if I finally ring the bell and I get there, the average NFL player is there less than four years. Hmm. So you're actually there less than you were in college. Then what? And that's one of the reasons why I'm proud to be a Notre Dame grad, because if you're a Notre Dame grad, you know what? Then what? You can actually go use your degree. You can get a no job. Question, no you question. can do things instead of then you can go back to working in the factory in the small town you grew up in and miss the chance to have had an education that took you somewhere else. That's not a criticism of people that are working in factories. It's the reality of what are we doing to build long-term value and long-term impact. And every brand, whether you're in a university or sports setting or not, has the opportunity to build that kind of long-term relationship. I was going to say, we're, we're going to chop that clip, send it to Coach Freeman and say, hey, go just go use this as your market, your, your recruiting tactics. I love um, it. But, but this, this gives us an interesting transition point into your newest book that's coming out 
really focused on the employee experience. And I think a lot of these same principles apply of what is an employee looking for? How do we reduce the employee churn? How do we get them to stay with our organizations longer? So, so maybe talk to us a little bit about how some of these same applications around keeping a customer for life uh, or keeping a customer much longer than the first hundred days, right? How do those pr same principles apply to the employee experience? And what are you seeing right now with the great resignation? We'll leave it open-ended and then we'll dive into whatever you say is interesting. I'll, I'll attack it. Sounds good. Yeah, David. Uh, so this, this book is a work in progress. I've been writing it for a few years now, and I'm super excited that it's going to be coming out in about a year. And the fascinating thing about this is, for those that want to just read the book before the book's ready to be read, it's real simple. It's the same eight phases I just talked about turned internal in your organization instead of external towards your customers. In the same way you make a job offer, a prospective candidate is trying to decide whether or not they want to accept it. Then they accept your job offer. Then they begin to doubt. Why did I just accept that offer? I had this other competing offer. Maybe I should hold that out for something better there. Then they show up for the first day on the job, that activate phase, right? And is the first day on the job amazing? Or do they show up on the first day and nobody knows they were coming? They don't have business cards. They don't have a computer. They don't have a desk. They get pawned off. Or worse, they say, hey, we're so excited to have you here. What we'd like you to do is go into this conference room. We've got 17 HR packets you need to read and sign. Go ahead and do that, and someone will be back to fetch you at lunch. Oh, great. Awesome. That's a sucky first day of on the job, right? Instead, what if that first day on the job was so remarkable, was so incredible, was so amazing that when you went home to your spouse, your significant other, your friends, you jumped on social media afterwards, oh my gosh, I am working at the coolest place ever. Guess what I got to do on my first day on the job? And then it doesn't matter what they say after that. It's did they have that emotional feeling? But then in the same way with customers, we slip into that acclimate phase where they begin to, you know, try to figure out the ropes. Oh, what's Debbie in accounting really like? Oh, Stan over there in operations. He actually knows where all the bodies are buried. You want to be good friends with Stan, whatever it may be. You've got this opportunity to teach them to learn what's going on. So hopefully you can help them accomplish their goals. Here's the thing that most employers Pro tip, I found this across all industries that most employers are missing. They think that the goal that their employees are trying to accomplish is a paycheck. No, that is not the goal. That is a piece of the puzzle that needs to be there, and we need to pay our employees well and compensate them you know, a fair wage for a fair day's work. But if we think that it's enough as an employer to say, well, hey, they showed up and I paid them, so they should want to stay. I'm sorry. Have you been under a rock for the last decades? Is there anything in your own behavior cycle that works that way? No. What is my opportunity for involvement? What is my opportunity for advancement? What is my opportunity for engagement? How can I contribute? How can I feel appreciated? What's the network that I'm establishing? How am I growing? How am I learning? When we think of all the things that our employees want from us, it can be exhausting. Well, guess what? That's what you signed up for when you started a business. That's what you signed <laughs> up right. for when That's you became right. a manager. I'm sorry if you didn't want to do those things. Give up your salary. Give up your title and go back to doing something else. That's fine. But don't tell me that, you know, a paycheck is enough. It's, it is, uh, it's really interesting that people ignore that. And I, I think a lot of people in sports now are starting to realize that, yes, we can't just say – 
hey, it's it's a sports organization. Everybody and their mother wants to work here. It's it's Notre Dame or, you know, I'm in Cincinnati now. It, it's the Bengals. Everybody, this is an iconic brand. We've got to line out the door. So not only can we underpay people, but we can undertreat people and ignore all those motivations and goals and emotions and stereotypes and needs and wants that they have because they're coming here and it's a privilege to work for us. I think that shift has totally changed, obviously. And a lot of senior leaders are starting to realize it, but they're struggling with kind of where to start in all of this. So when you think about your eight phases and the employee experience side of the things, where are you seeing some successful companies, some companies that are now figuring this out and are really starting to attack it, where are you seeing their first steps, the really well, successful companies? Yeah, they, yeah. The, I mean, the, the great news is there are dozens, hundreds of case studies for each of these examples. But since we've already annoyed everyone with our talk of Notre Dame football, who's not a Notre Dame fan listening to the podcast, let's pile on even further, okay? Just so that we they know what They know them. what they're signing up for. They know what they're signing <laughs> up for. All right. So here's something that I saw happen with Notre Dame football uh, in the last few weeks that I had not seen any other football team do, and it was absolutely incredible. Notre Dame made these crazy hype videos for signing day for all the college seniors who were signing their letter of intent for the early signing day. And basically, it cut through all of these scenes of life. There was a barber shop, and there's you know everybody sitting in a bowling alley and some people sitting in a bar, and it's all these fans talking about the player. I heard that when he was put in his crib, his parents put bowling balls in the crib so that he could smash them together to strengthen. I heard he can jump over a truck. I heard he can jump over a truck the long way. I heard that one time he flew. And they're just saying all these superlatives and all these crazy things. And then it's infused with scenes from famous Notre Dame football players making their comments about this young recruit. And at the end, it builds and it builds. And suddenly everyone's going, did we get him? Did we get him? Did we get him? And then it cuts to Coach Freeman going, yeah, don't worry. We've got him. And I just thought it was such a beautiful juxtaposition of building excitement about these players, these employees who are going to be part of the team who are coming that, by the way, we want to retain them for four years, not three years. How many times does a college basically say, oh, if we could just get them to come back for their senior year, if we could just get one more season out of them, they're finally starting to play and contribute at the level we need them to. Oh, but wait, they're leaving to go to the NFL. Mm -hmm. By the way, that's mm -hmm. leaving for another job. For those of you keeping score at home, that's the same as your employees leaving to go to a competitor. Okay, It may be a different league, but that's a reality. Or the transfer portal, that's just the same thing. That's same literally thing. leaving yep. for a competitor. So what are we doing? And I'm thinking to myself, if I'm a high school senior who's decided to sign at Notre Dame, and now there's this video that's being sent all over the world of people singing my praises, how could I not feel good about that? So here's how it applies to everybody listening. What if you did that for your new incoming intern? What if you did that for your new person that's going to be part of the accounting department or the ticket office who's not going to get necessarily the big hype and the big shout outs in the world markets for taking your job? But what if you put your media crew, who you already have on salary, they're sitting around with not a lot of extra stuff to do right now in the off season. What if they were making hype videos for their colleagues? And they were sharing those at the holidays or those on the work anniversaries or those type of things when somebody decided to join. Now we're having a completely different conversation because who isn't going to show that to their parents? Speaking of parents, one last example I'll give. So the CEO of Pepsi, years ago, Pepsi um, is an Indian woman. And years ago, they were expanding into India. 
And one of the things that she did is she would write a personal note to the parents of all of her top executives commending them on raising such great children. I don't know about you, David. If there's one thing I know about all children, it's that they're never 100% sure if their parents are proud of them or not. Even if their parents tell them they're proud of them, they're never quite sure. Or at least that's my experience with most of the humans I've interacted with. And so she would write these letters basically saying, your son, your daughter is absolutely incredible. They are contributing so much here. Well, a story comes out years later that one of the executives in India was talking to his mom and was like, you know, I just don't feel like I'm getting enough attention at work. I don't feel like I'm getting the promotions I deserve. And his mom laid into him and was like, oh, no, you need to work harder because she felt she had a personal friendship with the CEO because the CEO had sent this thank you note. And she was like, no, you need to double down. This isn't about what or where are you (laughs) slacking off? Now we could have a whole conversation about cultural references and families and how that works. But the reality here is your employees have family members. Are you singing their praises to the family members? When your employee gets a promotion, are you congratulating the family? Are you sending a note to the spouse or to the children, thanking them for all the time that dad or mom spends away from the house, letting them know how great they are. If you're throwing a a party for them, a promotion party, are you inviting their family or are you just inviting their coworkers? Who are the other people in the conversation? Who are your other customers and your other employees? There are so many opportunities to do this. We're only limited by the bounds of our own creativity and imagination. And, and that's where, too, I mean, you, you look at the Pepsi example, and I think, again, a lot of organizations get intimidated by this stuff because they think, oh, I've already got a full plate. My responsibilities are already full. It was about writing a thank you letter. Yeah. That takes five minutes. Yeah, Write total investment of, of time, less than five minutes and less than $1 when you figure the stamps it, and the cost of the Totally. Letter. And that's our, I mean, that's our, that's our friend, our mutual friend, Jesse Cole's thing, right? Totally. totally. Thank you. Oh, thank you letter every day. Just start it off with that. Yeah. The Savannah uh, friends, ahead, if you, I'm sure the, the listeners of the show are familiar with the Savannah bananas. Cause if you're in the sports and live entertainment market yeah. and you haven't been paying attention to the Savannah bananas, I don't even know where to begin other than to say, book a flight to Savannah and go watch a game. I've not only been to the game, but I took my whole family and Jesse, who's a friend, I got to throw in the first banana because they don't throw a pitch. They actually throw a banana. I've never been more nervous in my adult life than showing up to the game. And Jesse's like, oh, come early. We'll show you around, give you a tour. And I'm like, oh, this is great. And we're kind of looking around. And then he says to my uh, one of my son, my two sons are there. He says to my oldest son, he's like, hey, would you like to run the bases before the game starts with the players? And my son's just like, oh, my God, are you kidding? 100%. Yeah. (laughs) So he runs the bases. Then he says to my other son, hey, would you like to say play ball and be the first one that announces it when we start the thing? I mean, there's a giant crowd here. My son at the time is four. And he's like, yeah. And so he does play ball. You know, and the crowd goes wild. And then Jesse turns to me. He's like, and you're going to throw in the first pitch. And I'm like, oh, my God. Both of my sons said yes, like embrace the fear. I'm terrified. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm gonna throw the- I've seen the videos of non-athletes throwing the first pitch at a baseball game, and it never ends well. And as I'm walking up there, Jesse goes, oh, and by the way, it's not a baseball. It's a banana. I'm like, oh, my God. Now you want me to throw a banana all the way to home plate? This is a disaster. And his catcher's right there, one of the catchers for the team. And I said to him, I was like, do you have any tips? He's like, dude, throw it as hard as you can. I'll try to make you look good. 
I'm like, that's not really a good tip. I don't know what to do right now. And I step up and I'm like, all I'm thinking is try. This is going to be on a highlight video somewhere in your life. Try to at least bring some pizzazz and some flair to it. So I do my little thing. I throw the thing. I kid you not. The banana comes out of the peel mid flight. And the catcher catches the banana, the, the now-skinned banana. And he comes up to me afterwards. He's like, that's never happened before. I was like, that's never happened for me either. <laughs> the game hasn't even started. And it's my favorite baseball game that I've ever been to. Not just because I got to do this experience and I got to watch my boys have these experiences, but because I felt like I was part of the team. And that can happen on the field, that can happen in the stands, that can happen in the box office, that can happen in the merch tent. If everybody in your organization feels like they're part of a team, literally the sky is the limit. All right, we're going to end us there because that is one of the best endings that I've uh, we've had on this show. And just from high to really ending it with the clear insight of what every organization can do. So uh, if you're listening to this, I, I highly, highly recommend you check out Joey's book, Never Lose a Customer Again. I've got it here in my hand, holding it up if you're listening and not watching on YouTube. Um, but again, all of these, these eight steps, these eight A's, they apply to the customer experience as they do the employee experience. And really, look, it, it is worth the effort to dive in and focus on retaining your customers and your employees rather than just constantly being on that hamster wheel and trying to get new ones. So, Joey, thank you again so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you, David. And thanks to everybody that made some time to listen. So appreciate it. Hope you didn't mind all the Notre Dame references, but this stuff applies no matter where you went to school or where you work. So hopefully it'll uh, allow you to create even deeper relationships with your customers. If you're a Michigan fan like Brittany Hodak, I mean, hopefully you, you made it through this far. But <laughs> Brittany's great. Anyway. You know, everything is great about she's a li- she's a little misfocused in terms of her favorite football team. But other than that, she's totally an amazing human. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Michigan is great, and you know, I I just keep remembering. You know, we've we've certainly won our fair share of games against them, so it's totally fine. Too funny. Joey, where can people find you, uh, follow along your journey, hear more of your insights? Yeah, the best places uh, to find me or to kind of interact are the following three. Number one, my website, joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a baby kangaroo or a five-year-old you know. Joey Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment but no relation, joeycoleman.com. You can find my book, Never Lose a Customer Again, at your favorite bookstore. You can find it, uh, the audio version I narrate, so if you've enjoyed my antics, you can listen to me read the book to you. There's an ebook as well. And then I've got a podcast called The Experience This Show, which I host with a good friend of mine, Dan Gingas, that's all about customer and employee experience. It's called Experience This Show. Uh, but yeah, definitely appreciate the time. And uh, hopefully we get to connect with some of your listeners as well. Sounds good. Uh, guys, if, if you loved what Joey had to say, follow him, reach out to him, buy the book. Uh, but anyway, Joey, thanks again for coming on. We'll talk soon. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com 
to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.